Uh, do keep that reading open in front of you, if you will, page 1062. A prayer as we sit. Heavenly Father, pour out your Spirit upon us, we pray, to open our minds, to warm our hearts, and to send us out as more loving and obedient followers of your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, over the last three weeks, Adrian has been talking to us about our vision as a church, what we're called to be and what we're called to do this year, individually and together. And he suggested four priorities, not to the exclusion of everything else, but four things to concentrate on. I wonder if you can remember them. Adrian was trying this last week, two words each. If I say the first word, I'd like you to come back with the second word of each pair. Let's try it. Numerical growth. Joyful worship. Strong community devoted leadership. Pretty good. I wonder where in the Bible you can find groups of Christians trying to do those same things. Not a difficult question where we've just had a reading from the book of Acts. Of course, elsewhere, Jesus taught his disciples about these matters, about growing um, in number, spreading his word, worship, community, and what it meant to, to lead. Um, so did his apostles in their letters to various churches and the situations where they might have needed encouragement or challenge. But if we want to see how the first Christians tried to put that teaching into practice then there's perhaps no better place to look than the book of Acts. And that's what we're going to do over the next six weeks here in church. We're not attempting to cover the whole book, but we're picking out examples of different ways in which the early church tried to spread the good news of Jesus by words and actions. We're going to um, have passages when perhaps Peter's speaking to a large crowd. Another passage, though, when Philip's just speaking to one person on his own. Passages when they're doing all sorts of things as well as uh, speaking. Passages where they're speaking to people from a Jewish background. Another occasion when Paul was speaking to people from a completely Greek pagan background. Variety of encounters. Variety of ways of spreading that good news of Jesus in words and action. And as we look at each passage... We hope to apply it to our own situations on what we call our front lines amongst our family, friends and neighbours, the people we are at work with or with whom we spend our leisure time. And the key question to ask ourselves is this. If God used the first century Christians in that place and time and culture to spread the good news of Jesus in those ways by their words and actions... How could God work through our lives and speak through our voices to reach the people we meet day by day in 21st century Somerset? How could God work through our lives and speak through our voices to reach the people we meet day by day in 21st century Somerset? This book of Acts is sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles. That's not the title in, in our Bible here, it just says Acts. But some Bibles have the Acts of the Apostles. But I don't think Luke, who wrote this book as well as his gospel, in fact it follows on from this gospel, I don't think he'd give it that title. Just look at that first verse of Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus 
began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. That little phrase there, Luke's there looking back at his former book, his gospel. He says it's about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And that implies that this next book he's writing, Acts, is about what Jesus continued to do and to teach. But now, not through his life on earth, but through his apostles in the power of his spirit. And all of us here are part of that same story. What Jesus is still doing and still teaching today through us, his disciples, in the power of his spirit in Trull and beyond. The task that Jesus gave to his, his, his apostles has been passed on to us down the centuries, a bit like the light of the Olympic torch being passed on from one runner to another. So we in turn hear the call there in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even unto Troll. But what does it mean to be a witness? Well, I've only once been a witness in court. It was at a coroner's inquest. They didn't really want to know anything about me apart from my name and occupation. They weren't interested in me. They only wanted to know what I could tell them about an unfortunate man who drowned. You see, the role of a witness is to point to someone else, to shed light on them, the sort of person they are, what they've done, what's happened to them and to do so from one's own direct experience. And that's what Jesus called his apostles to do. It's there in verse 3 at the beginning. After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Those apostles had to be witnesses to the fact that Jesus, whom they knew had been crucified, whom everyone knew had been crucified, had been raised from the dead. And it was an indispensable qualification for the person that these 11, as they were now apostles, after Judas Iscariot had deserted them. It was an indispensable qualification for the person they wanted to choose to make up their number back to 12. If we look on to verse 21 of the same chapter when they're doing just that, um, trying to choose someone else to make up their group to 12 again. They, they say this, verse 21. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Did you notice that as, as well as needing a witness to Jesus' resurrection... They also wanted someone who'd been with Jesus during his three years of public ministry, who'd seen Jesus' miracles, who's observed the way he treated people, who'd heard his teaching. Because part of the significance of Jesus' resurrection was that God had then vindicated who he was, had said, yes, that's right, what he taught, the things for which others had put him to death. It showed that Jesus truly was the anointed king or Messiah who had the right to call others to live under his kingship. And so before he left them, Jesus wanted to make sure that his disciples knew what this kingship, this kingdom meant. 
So there in the second half of verse 3, Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. But even so, it seems that some of them still didn't grasp that Jesus' kingdom was spiritual rather than a sort of nationalistic kingdom. I almost hear Jesus sighing when he heard their question in verse 6. So when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And there were so many misunderstandings in that question of the disciples. Jesus wasn't going to restore anything. He didn't want them to look back to a kingdom like that of King David or King Solomon that had been established by military conquest. He wanted them to look forward to a worldwide spiritual kingdom based on love and self-sacrifice. And he didn't want them to speculate about the timescale involved, how long they'd have to wait, as Sam was talking to us a moment ago. He didn't want them to do that. He wanted them to get on with the task of spreading the good news that this kingdom had already begun. So we read in verse 7. Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's still the same message today about the king and his kingdom, a king whom we can know in our hearts and whose spirit can transform our lives. And a way of living under his kingship, that's how God always intended human life to be, that begins here and now, but will be fully established only when Jesus returns at the end of human history. That's the return promised by those angelic figures at the time that Jesus ascended to his father, as we read in verse 9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Man of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. But how are we to be witnesses to Jesus and to his kingdom? For those first apostles, as we shall see elsewhere in Acts, it involved travelling to many distant places and speaking to crowds that often turned hostile. Only a few of us are called to go to the ends of the earth. But as we were reminded in our prayers, we can support those who do go far away, perhaps further away in this country, north to Bradford, or perhaps um, Charles and Francis over in Bausch in Belgium, Rope working in several different countries. Um, Heidi and Bosco training at the moment up in Lancashire but intending to return to Uganda. But few of us have called ourselves to go to the ends of the earth, though for many of us the ends of the earth have come to us, perhaps in the form of the Bulgarian car washers at Sainsbury's. Um, today we welcome visitors from, well, not quite the ends of the earth, but from another country, from the Czech Republic. Beautiful country I visited on holiday once or twice. So we say, Dobri den and Vitami Vas. Good morning and welcome to you. Sometimes the ends of the world come to us. But we may, on the other hand, stay in our Jerusalem. And that for us is Taunton and Somerset. 
But there are probably we meet every week who have little, if any, other contact with Christians with whom they might be prepared to share deeper issues than who might win Bake Off or who should host Top Gear or whether England or Scotland won yesterday or whether whoever will win on this afternoon. Though, of course, if we do share those very trivial matters, which I mustn't say who did, I've just looked in one direction, I mustn't say who did win that match um, yesterday, I must be tactful. Aye, I must indeed. <laughs> um, but uh, if we're prepared to those shorts, share those ordinary everyday matters. That's where the conversations, that's where the friendships start, aren't they? That may then lead to deeper matters. Yes, there are deeper matters that we might share with them at some other time. Now, some of us are called to be more, if I can put it this way, more proactive in going out looking for opportunities to speak about Jesus. But all of us are called to respond when asked questions about our faith. For example, people might, tomorrow they might ask us what we were doing yesterday. You know, we explain about going to church. Do we just sort of shrug it off or do we just throw in something about something that perhaps some conversation we had afterwards with someone, perhaps um, the way we found strength to cope with some sort of problem that those people know we're facing. Whatever it is, are we prepared to, to share when people ask us questions? Uh, Peter, Peter, yes, he spoke to great crowds. He was called to do that. But what he said to, when he wrote his letter to apply to everyone was this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's in his first letter, chapter 3 and verse 15. Well, when I had to give that evidence in the court, um, it wasn't the first thing I had to do. First of all, I was interviewed at the police station. And after I'd been asked the questions, then the officer had my answers typed up into a statement, which I then had to sign, which was then read out at the, at the coroner's court. Well, I mean, there wasn't anything wrong. The information in the statement was completely accurate, but I didn't recognise the rather stilted prose in which it had been expressed when it had been typed up. It would have sounded so much more genuine if I'd been asked to write out the thing myself in my own words, and I mental, mental note, if I'm ever in that position again, I shall say, no, don't you type it up in, you know, I was proceeding along in an orderly direction type language, just let me put it in my own words. Well, it's the same when someone asks us about our faith. We, we don't then need to sort of come out with something which is like one of the, the booklets we hand out at, at, at Christmas time. No, we speak our own words, what our faith means to us, how God has helped us, our relationship with Christ. Well, however we want to put it, gee, just then I was thinking, some of us speak more naturally about the work of God in our lives. Some speak more naturally about Jesus. Some speak about how the Spirit helps. I honestly don't think it matters. The important thing is we speak in our own words about how God's working in us, what God means to us, and also truths about him, responding to what's the connection we're making with that person. Um, you know, if, if, if they've got other deeper questions, well, we can always find a booklet or point out a, a, a website or, or something else or invite them to come along to something we're doing at this church if they've got further questions or want to just experience the, the atmosphere of the, the worship, whatever it is. We don't need to be able to answer everything. We just need to be able to say in our own words what Christ means to us. But it's not only by our words that we can be witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Our lives will show whether we're truly living under his kingship, with him being the one in charge. 
I'm so glad we had that um, clip from Taunton Beeson and what Amanda and Mark were saying earlier in this service about uh, practical ways in which people help. I'm looking around the congregation. Yes, I see someone who I know has done, I can't whether it's gardening or decorating at some stage in a Beeson project, um, sitting in this church. Yes, and I know there are others um, too at different services who've joined in those practical projects here um, in Taunton, but perhaps with the um, families of, of the commandos when the husbands are off um, on service helping with some of the things they otherwise might have um, been doing um, in, the, in the homes there. Um, at the eight o'clock service, just the last one, we had a reading from Luke's Gospel, not from Acts this time, but from his Gospel. And in chapter nine, Luke wrote this, when Jesus first sent his um, disciples out on, I suppose you might call it like sort of preaching and teaching practice um, early on. And Mark's nodding, it must be the sort of thing he was sent out on on college. A bit the same, a sort of training mission he sent them out uh, um, a year or two before um, the, the reading in Acts. And in Luke nine, it says this, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Talking about Jesus and tidying up people's gardens. Speaking about their faith and redecorating the house. You know, it's all of a... A piece, isn't it? Our lives and our words together. Because words and actions go together. If our words aren't backed up by our lives, by our character, our attitudes, the love that we show, then those words will be hollow and people will take no notice. Or we may even be putting people off Christianity altogether. On the other hand, if our actions are never accompanied by words, or at least by some indication that we're motivated by our love for Christ, then we'll only be being witnesses to ourselves and not to him. We'll be in a sense almost, there's a danger, we'll be almost taking the credit on ourselves rather than to Christ and his spirit who inspires us. And the ultimate witness by our actions, at least for those apostles, and for others in our world today, to be prepared to die for our faith. It's quite a challenge to know that the Greek word that's used here for witness is the one from which we get the English word martyr. And Christians in several parts of the world today know all too well that their witness may lead to their death. Well, so far in speaking about what it means to be witnesses for Jesus, I've left out an important part of what Jesus said to his disciples during that last farewell appearance on earth. It's there in verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus made it clear there was no point in the apostles getting started on what was God's work until they were filled with God's Spirit. Jesus didn't expect the apostles to carry out their worldwide mission out of their own spiritual resources. And he doesn't expect us to manage on our own either. We'll only end up exhausted and ineffective. But unlike those first disciples, we don't need to wait for a particular occasion in the future, like the first day of Pentecost. But we do need to pray that we'll be open to keep on being filled and refilled with the power of his Spirit. So I don't think I got it quite right when I gave this week's passage the title that you can see there on your service sheet. 
following Jesus' command. That almost sounds a bit sort of cold in a way. It's more than that. Jesus' final words to his disciples there in verse 8 are not so much a command or as well as a command, they're a promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray that we won't be a silent witness or even a false witness to Jesus and his kingdom, but rather that we may be an effective witness and a faithful witness until the day when we see him face to face. Just a moment of quiet and then I'll say a prayer which is used around Ascension Day. Eternal God, giver of love and power, your Son Jesus Christ has sent us into all the world to preach the gospel of his kingdom. Strengthen us for this mission and help us to live out the good news we proclaim through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.